Podstarter. Every podcast starts somewhere. So, Reese, who are we talking to today? I was talking to Scott Philbrook, who set up a podcast with uh, another guy called uh, Forrest Burgess, called Astonishing Legends. Um, Astonishing Legends looks at mysteries, some paranormal, some just um, mysterious, but perfectly factual. They go for this really kind of like long form, in-depth, very researched look at quite well-known mysteries, but also they like finding ones that people have never heard of uh, and really pulling them apart, explaining them. They, they, they're based in um, L.A., or one of them is now based in L.A., and the other one has now moved to um, North Carolina, so they record remotely, and they're a big show. We're really excited to interview them because they they have a, a, a really big audience, and podcasting is their full-time job. They, they've crossed that threshold that many dream of into making it what they do for a living. Well, I, I, I've got a silly question for you then, right? So obviously you're a fan. I, yeah, I've been listening to the show for quite a while. So, <laughs> so I, I, I'm gonna, I was going to ask you, know, I, I'm biased. why are we interviewing them? Why would our listeners be interested in this interview? Okay, well, I'll, first of all, I'll declare my bias. I am a fan of the show, and I've also been a guest on this show. So, so the reason that I think they're valid to talk to is, first of all, the show um, has a very big audience you know they've done something right whatever they're doing they're doing it well um they, their approach is di- different it kind of goes against the advice that a lot of people give of giving short episodes they go really long and in depth they're passionate about the subject that they talk about and they've gone from two people in a room trying it out trying to find their voice experimenting to a show now that financially sustains both of them as their full-time jobs has a global audience, is growing. Um, they're now going from being a podcast to launching other shows, so transitioning into their own mini network. Yeah, their their podcast is almost a it's, it's a free form, long form structure. It's not uh, controlled by a particular timeline. It's more controlled by content, what the story is. They dig in, they find as much information as they can, they look at every angle, every detail, and then they just talk about it. And they have no limit on that conversation. They give you everything, and they talk about everything in detail, whether they agree with it or not. Um, and that in itself is is kind of a, a really interesting approach that is spoken to a, an audience that just says, give me all the information, discuss all the information, even if it takes six hours, I'll listen. Um, uh, and I'm one of those people, so... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it does work. Well, it, it sounds like it's trying to trying to put a time limit on a, uh, on a on a conversation is tough. Let's talk about this particular topic for thirty minutes and now stop. Exactly, and that may not be the case. We haven't come to a conclusion yet. We have to carry on and introduce the facts and have a discussion and have have uh, have have that dialogue around it. And it doesn't always fit into a thirty minute slot or an hour long session or a forty five minute time parameter. The, the conversation, like this show. Um, this podcast is trying to be around half an hour, roughly, but Scott gave uh, a really long interview <laughs> and had a lot to say um, in a really good way. So we're going to try and break this down into two episodes, just so from the point of view of getting all that information on, but making it still in the kind of uh, release duration that people expect with this show. Um, we want to make sure you don't miss anything, but at the same time, uh, we want to make sure that you're comfortable with the, the, the length of time we expected to tune in for. So this will be a two-parter. Okay. Good luck with the interview. Uh, and just a, one piece of advice, just remember that you are a founder of Podstarter first and a uh, fan the second. <laughs> I'll try my best. Podstarter. 
Every podcast starts somewhere. Scott, thanks so much for for joining us on Podstarter. Can you introduce your show and tell us a little bit about uh, Astonishing Legends? Uh, Sure. Well, um, I started a show with my co-host, Forrest Burgess, just, it'll be five years ago this October of 2019. And um, the show is a lot like, for people who are old enough to remember it, it's a lot like Unsolved Mysteries, or if you're even older... (laughs) In search of, and if you could remember that show, boy, that's that's going way back. But the, there's a difference though between us and those shows, and that difference is is that Forrest and I are very conversational in nature. So we bring a, a more of a almost like a talk radio vibe to it, and then we combine that with really really deep research into our topics, and we endeavor to explore really unusual, strange and unusual stories from UFOs and ghosts and cryptids and uh, famous missing persons like Amelia Earhart and that sort of thing. We cover all that stuff, but part of what our plan is with each episode is to address not only the far out possible explanations, the fringy ones, but also the really mundane and, and basic ones and, and try to look at the part of the equation that that might be exaggeration or that might be misunderstood and then put all that together and then give our listener everything they need to make their own decision and hopefully more information than they've ever had on that topic before, <laughs> which is, <laughs> is a plus and a minus because uh, we talk a lot. But yeah, so that's the, that's the nature of our show. I mean, the thing I like about Astonishing Legends, and I've, I've been listening to the show for quite a few years now and all the advice you hear about um when people are starting a podcast a lot of the articles seem to say the optimum time is 23 minutes or you know keep it short but your shows some of the 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 one you did on the patterson gimlin film was like about six hours or more yeah i don't ever i don't ever count it's like han solo never tell me the odds never tell me how long our show is it's (laughs) but it is it is ridiculously long sometimes and it's and it's funny because a lot of um the people that you know, that host our show for us, our file servers is Audio Boom, which is a company we've been with for a while. They've been real good to us over the years, but uh, some of their high level people are ex-radio people. And they said, well, you, you just need to make the show shorter. It needs to be more accessible. Uh, you might want to do X, Y, and Z and try to get it shorter. And and we did try, but we, we did have problems getting it down that way because Forrest and I both have an almost uh, obsessive need to impart all the fascinating stuff that we dig up that's never been heard before or never been placed side by side with the other more fantastical elements to a story. So we feel like that really paints a, a fuller picture. So it's hard for us, as anyone who listens to us knows, uh, it's hard for us to leave things out. So as a result, the show has wound up being pretty long, but we have gotten better about when we sit down and to record and we're doing the session and it's, you know, we sit down at 10 p.m. and we're still recording at two in the morning. We will now look back at that and go, wait, we should break this one into two. <laughs> so like, it's, we've done so much work and then it, you blast it out as a single episode and it's just been this brutal amount of work. And it's like, oh, maybe this one should be two, two and a, you know, two hour ones or hour and a half ones instead of one big thing. And then we're right back at ground zero when we finish it. So, but, but I think that's part of the charm is that because you do go into such depth and to the point where there are these kind of long-standing mysteries, but the level of research you go into, you uncover new information and find new witnesses or speak to people who haven't been spoken to for a long time. Yeah, that's what, and we really enjoy that. I really love, and I remember when we started out with regard to interviews and witnesses, I was really nervous to contact the first several people, probably until it got to be about a dozen 
because I have absolutely, I always think of Ferris Bueller's day off in the beginning when he's playing the oboe like horribly and he goes, never had one lesson. That's how I am as an interviewer. <laughs> so it, <laughs> it took me a minute to get to where I felt comfortable asking questions and doing all the things that people who are trained in journalism learn how to do. We, it was trial by fire. I do most of the interviews. So that was, that was for me, it was really trial by fire. And then our guests started getting better educated. I interviewed Dr. Daniel Taylor about his book on the Yeti, which is a fascinating book. And that and that turned out to be a really interesting series. But he'd been, done a lot of intense research on the Yeti and had lived in the Himalayas for decades and knew everybody and, and uh, was incredibly well-educated. So I was really nervous about talking to him, but the interview just wound up being super fun. The main thing in that case was that I had read his book. And I think what I've learned since I've started doing those interviews is that I think a lot of times, even with uh, professional journalists who are on TV, our news shows or other radio shows that are certainly bigger than we are, they interview these people and, th and they don't read the books. They they have uh, a crib sheet from some assistant or they try to skim it or what. And you can tell, in my opinion, when they're when you're talking to an author or uh, somebody who's published a research paper and the person isn't really familiar with the material that they're talking about, I think you can tell. So we go out of our way uh, to to get super well informed and come into it because it seems to me disrespectful not to know everything that they've put into a, some sort of monumental work like a like a book or something like that. I mean, you're, you've got a really big audience. I mean, you know, you, you, you've got um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a growing and, and successful enterprise the, the show. And I think that a testament to that is is the fact that you aren't journalists and the fact that you have a, a kind of a much more relaxed, much more conversational tone. And because you have that approach, you, you just, the two of you just genuinely get excited about the subject matter. And I think that, that, that that's the real value of, of what you offer is, is the passion and drive you have to kind of just dig a little deeper and, and then find so much you just don't have enough time to talk about it. And, and I think I, I genuinely feel like that's 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 kind of what draws the audience, I guess. Well, for me anyway, personally. Well, I'm uh, yeah. I, it's hard to know for us. Like I always wonder what people like and dislike. Of course, <laughs> you get the emails about what people dislike, uh, but you get the emails about what people like too. But uh, the, you know, and some people can't stand how long we are. They're like, just tell me the story. Forrest always that's his quote about that. Just just tell me the story. And it's like, well, that's not our show. You if you want that show, go listen to Lore. Lore's a great show, but it's going to be twenty five minutes or so. Of course, now he's doing deep dives on things. He's got a new show out for that. Uh, Aaron Mankey, but still, we're our show isn't the just tell me the story. If you want the story, you can listen to Laura, and if you want an even quicker thing than that, then you can look for it on Wikipedia or whatever. We're we're more than that, and and uh, we've gotten to the point where you know we used to wonder if that was the right thing and are we making a mistake, but now the the show has grown enough, and it's never had. Force and I always joke we've we've never had that hockey stick moment where we're like looking at downloads or. And it's shot up for some amazing reason. It's that's not happening. But it has been since we started really slow and steady. And we're, you know, around 150 episodes now and we're closing in on 65 million total downloads. So it's been pretty amazing. That's quite the audience. Yeah. It, I mean, and, and to be clear for people who don't understand how podcast stats work, that's not 65 million people it would be amazing if it was. It's a couple hundred thousand, but they listen regularly, you know, and just like anything, I'm sure people come and go, but it's it's in that territory and it's always growing slowly but surely and I think uh, one of the advantages of podcasting being still as far as I'm concerned it's a toddler I don't say it's an infant anymore it's a toddler now but I think you know when it when you when you think about the scope of it 
it's been around a long time uh, for, you know, a long time relative, like, you know, Jim Harold, who was an inspiration for us to get started. He's been podcasting since the early 2000s. But the thing is about it is when you look at, uh, for instance, you go to some of these uh, conventions or cons like uh, Podcast Movement, which is starting real soon here. Actually, our editor's going to it this year. It's in Florida. I've been to it a couple of years. And you go there and you sit in on all these things and you hear about the total advertising revenue, which is how we make our money. And there's a lot of podcasters who don't require income, but we do because we don't have any other jobs at this point. (laughs) And um, the you hear about the slice of that revenue that podcasting has and then you hear what radio has and you realize that we're like a gnat on the on radio's back right now and it's you know because it's like it's 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 impressive it's like a hundred million a couple hundred million for all the podcasts but then radio's in the billions so you're you're trying to figure out you know this is a this is still a very young business and i think that um in the long run it's going to grow a lot um because you have, and that's, you know, and that's a simple fact of the matter. When we started doing commercials, people were, oh, you were, didn't have any commercials before. And it's because we couldn't get any, nobody would pay us. And so we worked for 18 months with zero income, absolutely zero income. So, and if we couldn't have been in a position to do that, we would have never gotten to the point where we started growing and getting to where we're at. And why did you and Forrest initially get into podcasting? How did, how did you how did, how did that kind of seed get planted in your minds to the point where you sat down and recorded? It's a little bit of a blur now, but I, I think when I look back on it, he and I had known each other for years. Um, in fact, and I had sort of a weird uh, bookended existence in the same city with him, which is Los Angeles, where I, I lived in Los Angeles fresh out of college until 2001, um, right after 9-11, Literally five days after 9-11, I moved to New York City with my wife because she got a, a job there that she had been wanting her whole life. And uh, it's like, let's go. And it was already in motion when 9-11 happened. <clears throat> so we moved to New York and lived there for 10 years. And when I moved to New York that time, I said goodbye to Forrest and other friends. And he was kind of just an acquaintance then. Um, I would see him at the functions with our other friends who we both had people in that circle that we were closer to than each other. But invariably, even back then, we would get together and we would talk about weird things at these, you know, everybody else was over talking about current events and we would be back in the corner dissecting MK Ultra or something. And so <laughs> we didn't, I knew, we both knew that we had that, those interests in common. And I was always amazed with him because his mind is a repository of really specific factual information relating to the the breadth of all these kinds of stories. He really knows it. And so for me, when I think about, and I've only recently come to this assessment, it's like I dig and I, I try to do, like I said, good interviews and, and get familiar with the topic, especially if it's something I didn't know before we went into it. But really, I kind of feel like I'm just there to interview Forrest <laughs> because <laughs> he's, he, his take on the stuff is what fascinates me and the, the repository of information he has is what fascinates me. And so my wife and I lived in New York City for, in Manhattan for nine years. And then we wound up moving back to LA. Circumstances just brought us back there. And at that point I had, um, almost a one-year-old, uh, son and I was, uh, used to edit TV commercials and I was freelance editing still. And my wife was working, uh, full-time more than I was. And, uh, she's a television writer. So she was, you know, from an income standpoint, she was doing better than I was anyway. And I was paying a fortune for childcare, or my wife and I were, and I, I said to her, look, I'm going to I want to be with our son anyway. Why don't, um, I'm going to take some time off here 
and we can save the nanny money. I'll be with him and, you know, I'll take care of him. And then when he gets a little bit older and starts going to school, I'll get back into something with my fingers crossed behind my back. Cause I was like, I had no idea what the thing was going to be. <laughs> Cause I was like, I don't <laughs> think I can go back to editing, uh, t- especially TV commercials. I mean, I enjoyed it. It was very good to me. And I made a lot of really good friends that are still friends to this day, but there was a lot of it that I didn't like. And I was particularly sick of working, uh, in advertising. My, when my son did get indeed get old enough to go back to school, I started just ruminating and I'm kind of a, I'm, I'm a serial entrepreneur, a serial failed entrepreneur. That's what I am. I had tried so many crazy things. The biggest thing I ever tried was in 2000. I tried to start uh, something that was essentially the equivalent of YouTube, not quite as perfectly formed as YouTube, but similar. And this was several years before YouTube, two or three years before YouTube even started to exist. I had a business plan, all you know, 80-page business plan. We were went out to venture capitalists, all that stuff in the big dot-com thing, trying to get funding. I quit my job, all that stuff. And we never got funded because most of the meetings we had there, people were like, well, people aren't going to sit at the computer and watch videos like that. That's what everyone said. And <laughs> I'm not saying, ahead of your time. yeah, yeah, we were <laughs> ahead of our time, but I'm also not saying it was the perfectly realized business model. It probably had a lot of things that didn't work right, but it could have, I think, lasted at least a year or two had it gotten some funding, but it didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the dot-com thing exploded and it just, we never got anywhere. And so we always used to joke that we got through the dot-com bubble without uh, firing anyone or going out of business because we'd never got into business. But <laughs> that's avoided like, all the pain. Yeah, we avoided it all. But I yeah, was, yeah. but my thing was, and this has kind of my, been my thing my whole life, it's like if there's something like that that you really believe in, you have to do it because if I hadn't done that, wherever I would be now, which certainly wouldn't be with the podcast, I would always be wondering what would have happened if I'd have gotten in the game with this with this great idea for this dot com back in the day. It could have taken off. I could be a billionaire and no successful and all that. Not that I've ever really chased money. It's more the thrill of the chase that I like. But the I was I didn't want to live with that. I'd rather take all those risks and fail and know that I tried uh, than not try it. So coming circling back around to I got to thinking about podcasts, which had been around a few years, but were really like people really hadn't heard of them, but they were out there. And it was just like this tiny component of iTunes. And people that were in the know were listening pretty religiously, but it was super niche. And I thought, oh, well, this can't be because this is the famous last words, but this can't be that hard, you know? So I thought, I want to get into this. And having been in post-production for such a long time and working TV and all that, the technical part of it was like a no-brainer for me. I know how to, like, compared to video, audio is a piece of cake when it comes to spoken word. I'm not talking about mixing and music and all that. That's a whole other animal. But I was like, you know, I know what I need to buy a microphone and I have friends I can talk to about the right kind of gear and get it all set up and it will sound really professional and we should, you know, I, I should, I wish I could think of something to do. And then I got to thinking about Forrest and he and I had started talking about it. And I can't say that the idea for the show started with me or started with him. We're not really sure. It was just us getting together over and over and be like, well, what if we did this? And we spent a good year and a half, I think, just planning it. Like it took us a year to come up with a name. I had wanted to call it Apocrypha, which is like, it's a cool word, but it's completely inaccessible. It would have languished. No one would have ever found it. So <laughs> in the end, it all just kind of worked out. But the, the component of it that I always had faith in was that Forrest and I would be having interesting conversations that I felt 
there might be people who would find them interesting too, and not, instead of us just sitting in a dark corner at the Fox and Hounds on Ventura Boulevard, so which is where we would usually have them. <laughs> so. I mean, it sounds like you put a lot more planning into it than most podcasts. You didn't just slam an iPhone on the table and start talking and getting drunk like yeah. some people do. Well, that's, yeah, <laughs> and we, we often lament that we're not just drinking and reviewing movies because a lot of people seem to be doing well at that. But I, I think it's, our show is so research heavy. We have no lives, but um, I... Yeah. I think that um, there's a lot to be said for that gorilla thing and just doing it, the just do it, you know, to borrow a phrase, uh, part of it. There's a lot to be said for that. The, the reality is I'm, I'm, you know, Forrest and I are both kind of perfectionists. So I was particularly obsessed with let's get the best mics we can afford. Let's have it sound really, really good. Let's get a really good theme. And I knew all these people in commercials and advertising. So, I, you know, I had a friend who had a music track that turned out to be our theme. He had written it for a commercial and it failed. So he was like, here, you can have this one. I mean, he has thousands of tracks. And I was like, okay, now I can't think of any other theme that we could have, you know? And so, and, um, you know, he donated it to me, which, you know, it's considering it's at the front and the back of, of the episodes, that means it's been downloaded 120 million times. If I was paying royalties on that, we'd be, we'd have been done a long time ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you know, we made did you it, get that in writing just in case. You know, well, you know, we did what I did as a small <laughs> token of my appreciation. We made it a ringtone, and then just all the income that comes in from that, I send to him every few months, which is you know, uh, it's nice. not a lot. That's, but, that's a good you know, call. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I I wanted everything to be perfect, and I do remember there was one night in particular, Forrest had come over for like the umpteen billionth time to my house. We're sitting on my front porch, probably having some drinks, and. Just like, well, no, it's got to be like this, just dissecting how each episode would flow and all that stuff. And my wife comes out on the porch. My wife is very much a doer, uh, you know, and very successful and just gets things done. And and, uh, her work ethic is an inspiration for me. She comes out on the front porch and she looks at us and I was like, what? And she goes, my God, you guys have been talking about this for a year and a half. When are you going to do it? (laughs) And I was kind of like, you know what? She's right. And that's when we started recording, like the next week we started recording. And, and then we, uh, we put like eight of them in the can before we released the first one. Cause we, no matter how hard you try, that first one is your worst one. It just always is. And then I I knew that that was going to be the case. So I was like, let's get some experience with it and see how it feels. And then if something's really bad, we can go back and redo it. And, uh, it turned out the very first interview we recorded, which was with a friend of uh, my wife's. Uh, we made that like our seventh or eighth show because we felt weird about it being the first episode. And then, you know, and then the one that we made the first episode, Forrest isn't even really in. It's me and another mutual friend of ours. So it's just weird how it evolves. It's like when you go back and look at TV, sh- you look at pilots and every th- of TV shows that are really successful. And you look at the first episode, like if you look at The Simpsons, I'm not comparing us to The Simpsons, by the way, but if you look at those pilot, you're just like, my God, I don't remember them looking like that, you know? Yeah. There's whole characters that have been written out. Yeah. Yeah. And so merged into one. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it's like, I, you know, I think about that. I I can't go back and listen to our early shows because we were so stepping on each other and all the things that we are really self-conscious about and, and work to, you know, to become better broadcasters and easier to follow, you know, with each episode, but we still haven't published the episode that either one of us looks back and goes, we're never going to get better than this. We, every single time we do it, we're, I, we're both obsessing over the things, the components of that one that we didn't like or didn't feel were right or that we want to apply something different to the next one based on what we learned from the last one. Because I was going to ask you about what kind of mistakes you made, but I guess by having the first eight in the can, you were identifying those mistakes as you were producing them, I guess. Yeah, that was a good thing because it gives you a little room. Um, I think... 
uh, you know, one of the one mistake that we made, and we're living with it still. Um, but we're working on way, you know, we're getting better at producing our own show, but after five years, but was you, I think when you start a show, you really have to look out for the schedule that you sign up for. So when you start a show, one of the main components or one of the main things they tell you that is true. And I, I disagree with the argument that you have to get all the perfect equipment coming back to, let me circle back on that for a second. You have to get the perfect equipment and wait and do like we did and, and wait for, for uh, until everything is aligned perfectly before you start recording. You don't have to do that if you have amazing content. And our content is, I, I would say, I would classify our show as, in most cases, really, really good, but not amazing. Amazing content is serial. Amazing content is, you know, one of these crime shows that where they actually solve the crime, the podcaster solves the crime. That's amazing content. If you do that, you can record that on a handheld cassette recorder from the 70s and people are going to listen. It's going to be fine. So if you've got that kind of content, you know what? Go for it. If you have an amazing personality, which to be fair, pretty much everyone who's podcasting thinks that they do. They're not all right, <laughs> but you know, it's like, you want to go out in the garage and we're going to talk about X, Y, and Z. And, <laughs> and yeah, you are, but it's like, it, it's what people are tuning in to listen to isn't always the thing that you're talking about, but how you talk about it. And I think that's the, that's the biggest truth. It's not always what you're saying, but how you're saying it, why you're saying it and what new thing you're bringing to it that uh, people can't get anywhere else. And so there is something to be said for good equipment. So I guess what I'm saying is that like in our case, when we held out for the pro gear, that was because I didn't have all the faith in what we were going to be talking about. <laughs> so I figured if we sounded <laughs> slick, we could get away with uh, maybe not being that interesting because there is a thing, there are people that look at podcasts and they go and they download them and they check them out for the first time. And a lot of them sound horrible. And some people can't get past that. They have a, a, a hang up with it. And I can relate to it because I'm kind of this way. If I if I go to check out somebody says, hey, check out my show and I check it out and it sounds like it's, you know, being recorded on a crappy mic in a super echoey room and um, there uh, there's lots of, you know, there's a cat meowing and whatever. There's all this stuff happening. I lose interest a little bit because in a way it conveys that they don't care about their product or what they're doing. Um, it's more than just what you're saying and how you say it. It's also... What kind of effort are you making to make your listener happy and comfortable? And I think that that comes through in the commitment that you ultimately make with gear and stuff like that. But if you don't have money, you start any way you can. There's cheap mics out there now that sound really good. Just take some baby steps to make it sound as good as you can. And I think that um, in the end, people will stick with you as long as you grow and the show is interesting and, and you're working to make a demonstration uh, that you're going to be reliable. And that comes back to what I was saying about the schedule and the mistake, or one of the mistakes that we made was we, we started out as bi-weekly. We were every other week. And at that time, shows didn't really have seasons. Now everybody's doing seasons. Even Fortnite's doing seasons. Games are doing seasons. Everyone's doing seasons. And the seasons are completely made up. They've stolen from television, which, you know, you had uh, one or two seasons on TV. But now the season is just like, hey, it's 12 episodes. This is a season. We'll be back next month with season two. And then now you've got five seasons of a podcast in one year or whatever. So people are just making that up. I wish that had been around when we started because we might have done that instead of 26 shows a year, which was a heavy lift for a research-heavy show like ours. It's not topical and conversational, so it takes a lot of prep work to do those shows. And then when we started to have some income, it was it was nice, but there was two of us and we had some overhead. So we we're splitting everything that's you know coming in from an income standpoint. So we still weren't quite making enough. So then we decided that instead of every other week, we we're going to do three weeks on and one week off. 
And so we went to 36 shows a year and that has been brutal. And it's been that for three or four years now. And uh, it's just been really hard on us. So uh, because of the amount of diligence we put in each episode and the amount of work and the research and producing it and all that stuff, that's, that's been really intense. So you have to be careful about what you get into. We are developing another show that we're hoping to release this fall. And uh, we're not in it. We're just producing it and, um, um, and giving it creative direction. But we're rolling that one out with a season idea. Because <laughs> and the thing that we told the host of that show is you got to be careful what you sign up for. And um, not to say that it would kill you if you change your schedule. But, um, you know, people get used to people get used to it. And when we take more than two weeks in a row off, we start getting all kinds of emails and notes on social media. Where are you? What are you doing? You know, and people, and I think you lose listeners. So you want to be predictable. People want to know that they can count on you and, um, and they want to know when and where they can find you. So I think that's an important thing. So, but so I, you know, the long winded answer to the mistake was that we overburdened ourselves with a schedule that we then felt compelled to stick to and are still sticking to, to this day. But it was, it was a little bit of us biting off more than we could chew. Visit podstarter.io to find out how we can help you build the podcast you and your audience needs. To listen to more episodes, search Podstarter wherever you find your podcasts or visit our website. You can also find us on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Podstarter is produced in Nova Scotia, Canada by podstarter.io.